from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. Thursday, May 11th, 2023. We've got a packed, packed show this morning, like almost every morning at this point. Every morning as I'm getting ready for the show, and I do this because I'm a CISO, and so by all means, one of the things I'm looking in the morning is threat intel, what's new, what could be impacting my business. That's why I do the show, by the way. Like it's, it's literally what I kind of prep for during the day is, is what I do here in the morning and I share with all of y'all. So we've got a kind of busy new thought process type of show to go through. Also, a lot of, uh, I think the, the Facebook lawsuit over data privacy that's coming from the shareholders against the board of directors and the executive team is significant. It's, it's, we talked about Merck a few weeks ago on the show, and, and we'll get into that here today as well. But all of that is, is, is really significant, and we'll be talking about that here in just a moment. Back in the studio, and I've got my double espresso. I didn't have one yesterday, so join me in a coffee cup. Cheers before we get the show going. Coffee cup, cheers, y'all. All right. We're going to kick off with the Babic source code leak that has sparked nine different ransomware strains, all targeting the VMware ESXi family of systems. So multiple threat actors capitalized on the Babook ransomware code in September of 2021. They've built nearly nine different ransomware families, all targeting the VMware ESXi systems. The variants emerged through the second half of last year and the first half of this year. It's showing an increasing trend of Babook source code adoption, according to Sentinel-1 researcher Alec Delamotte in a report shared with the Hacker News. The leaked source code is enabling actors to target Linux systems when they may otherwise lack expertise to build a working program. Now, gang, here's why this is significant. There, there's a few things behind this. One, VMware is behind probably 90% of all virtual machines on the planet today. ESXi is the number one platform. The ability to be able to overlap and get into these platforms is, even before they've got a working program built into them means that if, if you think of an S kind of like a, if you think of a supply chain attack, that's the mother of all supply chain attacks. So a number of cybercrime g- g- uh, groups, according to the report, both big and small have set their sights on the hypervisors because here's what happens with the hypervisor. A hypervisor oversees in, 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 in most cases, thousands of additional VMs that are under it. So if they can get into the hypervisor through the hypervisor, they can actually escalate and go across any other VM you've got within that hypervisor, which means you've really got to steady your hyper, your your VMware security. And because these, this ransomware can essentially target even a hypervisor before it's got any VM set in it, before it's got any programs, this is significant and it's going to require a lot of work by security partners in order how do we identify these when they're dormant, when they're not communicating and what's going to be the TTPs and IOCs of this type of work. There's a whole lot on this, um, so go check it out. Um, and, and it's definitely something worth worth reading um, and, and paying attention to now, especially if you're, 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 you're moving to the cloud, you operate in the VMware, you've got a ton of VMs, which every organization on the planet does. Microsoft, yesterday, we, we talked about the uh, patch Tuesday yesterday. I want to kind of touch something here. Microsoft released a fixed for a patch uh, that, that was an Outlook issue that was being exploited by, by Russian uh, criminals. So here's what happened. CVE 2023-23397, 9 or 7, sorry, had a March. Uh, it was addressed in March. Uh, there was a vulnerability. There was a patch issued in the March patch Tuesday. Well, well, 
Researchers then found that the patch doesn't really fix the vulnerability. It added an additional layer uh, that could be taken advantage of. And so this was patched uh, Tuesday into Patch Tuesday. If you haven't done this, you want to make sure to do it. This is an actively exploited zero-click vulnerability, meaning no user interactions. All window versions are affected. Um, if you haven't done it, you want to make sure to do it. I didn't really dig into this yesterday on the show, um, but I wanted to bring it up today as well. Here is something smart Google is doing. Google's bringing dark web monitoring to all of its free Gmail users in the United States of America. What a great way. What a great way to use something like the dark web, which most people find very, very interesting. Anytime I go to an, a cyber event, anytime we talk about the dark web, anytime I meet just people in the street and they go, what do you do? I'm in cyber. Oh, so are you on the dark web? People are fascinated by the dark web. It's almost the fascination of the dark web is no different than, than you know, the people's fascination with the mafia and, and things, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago uh, and, and, uh, and up until this day. So what a great way for, for Gmail to say, hey, you can go, we'll go ahead and scan the dark web. We'll let you know if your email has been compromised and it's available, which most likely every person's going to be like, yeah, I'm there. And they're going to be advised to turn on two-factor authentication to protect their Gmail accounts from hijacking attempts. What a magnificent way by Google to do this. Really, this kind of shows you the understanding of human psychology, of user uh, psychology, and a great way to do this. I would be sharing this internally in the company with all the employees because almost everyone you know has a personal Gmail address. Hey, go do this and check it out. And if you find anything, let us know. We as the security team will support you. What a great way to evangelize security in your organization using something that Google's doing for free for its Gmail users. Just really, really brilliant. Love this move by Google. Uh, I'm a fanboy. So the way you do this is you go to Google One, you click setup, you hit start monitoring under dark web report. The company says all personal information added to the profile can be deleted. Microsoft has something, by the way, very similar. If you do a personal uh, 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 Microsoft license um, and you download Defender, they do the same exact thing, by the way. They'll also like search for your credit cards and anything else as well. In other effective news for uh, many practitioners. There's been a new ransomware decryptor rec that recovers data from partially encrypted files. The White Phoenix ransomware decryptor allows victims to partially recover files encrypted by ransomware strains that use intermittent encryption. Intermittent encryption is a strategy employed by several ransomware groups that alternates between encrypting and not encrypting chunks of data. This method allows a file to be encrypted much faster while still leaving the data unusable by the victim. Sentinel Labs in September of 2022 said that intermittent encryption is gaining traction in the ransomware space with all of the big ransomware as a service offering it at least as an option for two affiliates of and Black Cat having seemingly the most sophisticated implementation. However, according to CyberArk, which developed and published White, White Phoenix, this tactic introduces weakness to the encryption as leaving parts of the original files unencrypted creates the potential for free data recovery. Uh, ransomware operations that use intermittent encryption include Black Cat Play, ESXi ARGs, uh, Kalen Agenda, and Bien Lien. Um, CyberArk that developed after uh, White Phoenix after experimenting with partial encrypted PDF files, attempting to recover text and images from uh, STEM files. Um, so there's something out there uh, that it's the tools available for free from the CyberArk public GitHub repository. Links in the show notes. Go check that out. That's a great, great tool to give to your operations team, especially if you're an MSP or MSSP and you're looking for another way to try and help your customers during a ransomware attack. This is a great tool to try and at least decrypt the data while you're negotiating.
A Delaware judge yesterday refused to dismiss a shareholder lawsuit alleging that Facebook officers and directors violated both the law and their fiduciary duties in failing to protect the privacy of users' data. Vice Chancellor J. Travis Laster rejected arguments that the complaint should be dismissed because the plaintiffs did not first meet demand that Facebook's board take legal action before filing litigation themselves. Under Delaware law, shareholders must make such a demand or demonstrate that doing so would be futile because a majority of the directors were self-interested, lacked independence, or faced substantial likelihood of liability. Laster agreed with the plaintiffs that demanded that demand would be a futile because there's reasonable doubt that a majority of the relevant Facebook board members, many with close personal and business ties to Mark Zuckerberg, would be willing to confront the CEO and founder of the company now known as the Meta Platforms over its privacy failures. Meta has said in filings with security regulators that it believes the lawsuit is without merit, but shareholders are taking this. Now, this is significant if you're a CISO, if, if you're in this cyber world, um, um, this is one a great lawsuit to take to your executives and kind of talk about, just not as a FUD, because we CISOs often talk about how vendors and, and use FUD to try to sell to us, and we then in turn sometimes use FUD with executives and boards, but this is kind of like a great introspective approach. I mean, I'm guessing T-Mobile shareholders are watching this and they're seeing how this lawsuits go because it's going to give them precedent. Six breaches at T-Mobile in the last two years. At some point, shareholders are going to sue the T-Mobile directors and executives and, and especially if their stock price continues to tank. And so you can imagine that, um, this lawsuit is being watched by many legal minds going, could this potentially proceed? Now that it's proceeded, there's merit for a lawsuit. Now what happens next? That that's, that's going to be a different, uh, different point, uh, a, a different argument altogether. What would happen in the trial? If this goes to trial, do they settle this? The, the, um, the, the case remains open, but something very, very, um, very interesting to watch. Um, and keep an eye on because it's going to be precedent. And the former Ubiquity employee who posed as a hacker and attempted to extort nearly $2 million from the company has been sentenced to six years in prison and will have to pay $1.5 million in restitution. The employee, which will not be named on the show, I don't, I don't name criminals on the show, I don't give them the notoriety they're seeking, was ba- um, was a employed by the US-based communication and IoT device maker between August of 2018 uh, August of 2018 and April of 2021 according to authorities in December of 2020 he abused his access to Ubiquity systems to download gigabytes of confidential information while interviewing for another company the next month while part of the team tasked with responding to the incident the man sent a ransom note to the company claiming to be a hacker who had breached the company's system he instructed Ubiquity to pay 50 bitcoins at the time roughly 1.9 million to prevent the data from getting leaked, the company refused to pay up, and the person made some uh, public made public some of the stolen files. In the meantime, the FBI traced it back to that person and executed a search warrant at their residence in Portland, Oregon. During the search, they found several devices being seized, and the man lied to the agent. Several days later, the person was arrested, um, and he pled guilty in February of 2023, and he'll be spending the next six years of his life behind bars, letting you know crime does not pay so that's it for our show make sure to subscribe go follow us on youtube and check out all the latest we've got some really big announcements next week the show celebrates five years five years that's right y'all five years um so big week next week um as we also 
nearly get to 500 episodes. We're on episode 489. So <laughs> very, very exciting next few weeks here. So a lot of special things will be happening on the show. So tune in, subscribe. Don't miss it. 9 a.m. Eastern live right here on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. You can also find us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.